when people come into the workplace, just because they are on the team doesn't mean they're part of the team. Happy New Year and welcome to Off the Books, where we surf the uncharted waters of accounting, finance, risk, and wherever else the waves take us. This episode is brought to you by Workiva, the only platform that unites financial reporting, ESG, audit, and risk teams so you can be the most powerful forces of good ever assembled. Check it out at workiva.com slash podcast. My name is Catherine Sai. I'm not an accountant or auditor, but I like asking questions of people who are, and I'm here with Steve Soder. Steve, why don't you tell the listeners who you are? Certainly, Catherine. Hello, everyone, and a happy new year. I'm Steve Soder, accounting enthusiast and Diet Coke aficionado. I'm looking forward to debiting a great conversation, and I'm so happy to have you with us. Steve, who else is joining us here on the podcast today? Well, we have got returning guests, Ernest Annunciacion and Josh Gerch. Both have been on the podcast a number of times. Ernest, do you want to remind the fine folks who you are? Yeah, hey everyone, Ernest and Sion here. I lead our product marketing team for our GRC solutions. Uh, original OG CIA and resident sneakerhead. <laughs> oh, that makes me smile every time. <laughs> and we've also got Josh Gerch again joining us. Josh, do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, I'm a principal here at Workiva in our accounting and finance group. I support kind of private public reporting as well as our capital markets group. And I'm a big fan of the Nectar of the Gods drink. I think, Steve, you partake of it as well. So I think we share that uh, share that in common. Uh, yes, we do, Josh. Yes, we do indeed. And why are Ernest and Josh here today, Steve? Well, uh, Catherine, you were telling me about how you listened to a presentation by FocusWise CEO Kurt Steinhorst, uh, who's written about the topic of focus at work. Yes, and the presentation I heard Kurt give was about building trust. Yeah, exactly. I think it's an important topic for accounting and audit teams that are trying to hold on to top talent. Uh, I think despite many of them being super busy right now in the new year, a lot of them are kicking off new goals, new resolutions, and so thought it might be a good idea to hear more about what Kurt had to say, but then, of course, get reactions from Ernest and Josh, who are very connected, of course, to the profession. Good idea. Okay, so let's get into it. Um, Ernest and Josh, so this webinar that I listened to featured Kurt Steinhorst, who writes a lot about focus and productivity. And he talked about building trust when the traditional things that you use to build trust aren't always there anymore. So when you're not working all in the same office or shaking hands or breaking bread or Diet Coke together in the lunchroom anymore, how do you build trust in a culture where people really like working together and want to stick around? So Kurt had a bunch of ideas about it, and we wanted to get your take from the perspective of accounting and finance teams. Yeah. On that, Catherine, we've got a few clips from Kurt's presentation that his team graciously uh, are letting us share. So uh, maybe we'll start out. He says one thing or says one thing about what leaders can do to cultivate clarity. Uh, let's take a look and see what he had to say. When people come into the workplace, just because they are on the team doesn't mean they're part of the team. And the easiest solution to this is just hire people that have the same background as you. That's also one of the least effective ways to have a high-performing organization. And the, the way we solve this is actually that people don't need to have the same past, but they need to be on the same page around some specific areas. And so when it comes to the team, the core function of a leader for creating a healthy team culture is clarity. 
It's not ping pong tables. It's not happy hour. It's not making sure everybody fills out their March Madness bracket. I don't mind the March Madness bracket thing. I think that's kind of fun. But Kurt went on to say that people specifically need clarity around their roles, responsibilities, and rewards, meaning like, what do I need to do to get a promotion or get a raise or something like that? What do you all think? Well, you know, it's interesting, Catherine. I actually thought a lot about that in a March Madness bracket. In fact, one of my first experiences being at a company was they asked me to like, hey, Steve, put together this March Madness bracket. I'm not really a college basketball guy. I mean, you know, there's always the perennial teams. I went to the University of Arizona. They are frequently, uh, you know, a top contending team. But that was actually an experience that I had that didn't make me feel part of the team. I don't know. Ernest, I think you and I have had this philosophical conversation before. What's your take? I loved what Kurt had to say about just because you're on a team doesn't mean you're part of the team. I mean, how many times in our careers have we had, I don't want to say dead weight, but people are just kind of getting by and maybe as a people leader, you inherited those resources or that team. Uh, and so, you know, when, when I think about what he says about clarity around responsibilities, about roles, I think it's, it starts with the vision, right? And, and guys, please bear with me because I'm going to use a ton of sports analogies here. Um, you know, having played a lot of organized sports growing up myself, uh, you got to have a vision, a common vision, a common goal, a common thing that everybody's working towards. Because if if people aren't working towards that and they, own, they have their own individual goals, that can detract and that, that can create distractions uh, across the team and, and really impact kind of performance there. And so when I put that in the lens of how do you build trust around that, especially given kind of in the environment that we, we've been working under over the last few years, you know, I love, I love the whole notion of clarity, but I also think, you know, one of the biggest ways or easiest ways to build that trust is what, what I call the say do ratio. And I learned this very early on in my career from a former manager of mine, the say-do ratio is really simple. How much of what you say you're going to do, do you actually do? And so when you think about accounting and finance teams or audit teams, like audit specifically, we are measured, one of the KPIs that we have is based on the number of audit reports that we issue. We wanna do 50 audits this year. We think we're gonna do certain ones at certain point in time. And that's why we're always driving towards kind of those timelines because we're delivering on the things that we said we want to, right? And delivering on those promises. Now you wanna have that say do ratio as close to one as possible, but a lot of people then also kind of sandbag that or they overpromise and they underdeliver. You wanna kind of flip that. So love to hear what Josh has to say about it, uh, especially in the context of, again, the, the kind of the clarity on the roles and responsibilities. Yeah, my my view of this, it's been interesting as I've kind of matured in my career, kind of how I look at this issue. I would say early in my career, you know, we were working, you know, in offices and things like that. And when someone would join the team, you know, we would, it would take a couple of weeks, we'd go out to a lunch, we'd get to know them. To Steve's point, maybe there's like a soccer or a basketball bracket, like we try and get them engaged in some of those things. And it was, and, and, you know, then over time you kind of saw what skills or what contributions they were going to make to the team. And what's been interesting to me is over the last couple of years, kind of working remotely is one, we're bringing in people from all over. It doesn't, you know, we don't have the same backgrounds. We don't have the same, you know, maybe, I don't know if you call it values, but we have a different views on the world and that's, and that's a good thing. 
But, you know, when people come in on day one, there aren't there kind of isn't that fluff there anymore. It's like, hey, we hired you for a specific role based on your experience, based on your education. And they kind of come in and it's like we get working. And then as time develops, it's kind of like we we get to know each other a little more personally. But um, I think as I've seen this happen, when they come in, we've had to be so clear about what they're doing because, you know, we're not in an office. and We don't have that. I actually think it's been for the better. Like I've, I've seen people excel at work where it's almost kind of like everybody kind of does their job and they take care of business better and then they go home if they want to, or if they want to develop that further, then they probably put a little bit more investment in and kind of build those relationships. But it's almost like the dynamic has flipped and it's just been an interesting observation for me over the last couple of years to kind of see and work through. Do, do either of you have a sense for what that, that, moment is that sort of flips. And and I'll use a personal example. Uh, I'm sure our audience has gathered. Josh and I have worked together for a long time, have known each other for a long time. Um, Josh was kind of a punk until the first time we actually got into a little bit of a firefight. It was an audit issue. And, you know, we were kind of like doing battle uh, against each other, but then actually with each other trying to tackle this common issue. It was sort of after that firefight that I actually really appreciated like, hey, you know what? Like, this is a really good guy to work with. Like, this is somebody that I would like to partner with. I use that example between me and Josh, but I'm guessing that same thing might play out with teams. I don't know. Ernest, Josh, is, is could that be a defining moment? Or, or maybe if not, what other defining moments would you characterize as when somebody feels like, okay, you know what? Now we're finally, you know, together and, and really coordinated and integrated as a team. Well, maybe Josh just has you fooled there, Steve. Um and, oh, and he's time, fooled me many times. Time will tell him. <laughs> you got to keep them on their toes. <laughs> exactly. I, I, don't, I don't know if it's one specific moment that you, you kind of have like this light bulb go off and go, aha, right? It, it could be a number of moments uh, that aggregate over time and kind of collectively. Yeah, you, you, you know, there, there's nothing like being in the trenches of war to really forge those relationships and the biggest thing about trust is how, you know, one of, the, one of the analogies I used to use in the past too is like, look, as your, as your coach or as your people leader, I'm going to give you rope and you could either run with that rope or you can hang yourself with that rope, right? And so for, for me, when I think about like my team right now, it, it's, it's little moments in time where I, I see people kind of being a little bit proactive and they're they're anticipating the things that I'm going to ask or that our stakeholders and our customers are going to be looking for. And then they're proactive about it. Right. And then, and then as, as a people leader, you know, we got to reinforce that, that behavior through, through positive reinforcement. And so at least for me, I mean, that's great. Yes. You absolutely have moments like that. And, and, and there's nothing like a fire drill, as you mentioned, Steve, to kind of forge that. And, and then you start thinking, huh, okay, maybe, maybe I'm changing my tune a little bit. But, but for me, I, I see kind of little moments over the course of time that helps that. Yeah. I remember a good friend and HR director I once had to, I once was associated with, and he, he explained to me that, you know, we were kind of talking about workplace situations and how to interact. And he's like, hey, basically it comes down to, you know, once you earn it with that person, you can kind of go to that next level or you can kind of talk to a deeper level that, you know, maybe at first you can't. I think it's the same thing with trust. I think it's earned. I think that just comes through experiences and you have to go through them to get there. I don't think you can earn trust based on superficial conversations or not doing anything where, you know, to Steve, to your point, like all of a sudden, you know, maybe we had some disagreements or views about thing, but, you know, when you 
but we were in the same page and, or we had to get on the same page to deal with probably something a lot bigger than ourselves and get through that. And, you know, I, I, I just think it's earned. I just think that there's no way around it that at some point you've got to go through those fires to some degree and you're either going to kind of come out of them better or you're going to kind of come out of them worse. And that just kind of continues to either enhance or kind of dehance that relationship. Well, let's jump into another clip from Kurt and looking at how to cultivate curiosity and help people navigate change. What we can't do is predict all the variables shaping the work that we're doing. They keep changing. But what we can do is promote a culture of growth and learning. And by promoting a culture of growth and learning inside the team, what we do is we ensure that when something new comes in, when the dynamics shift, when uncertainty becomes visceral, when the future is uncertain, that we actually can look at it as an opportunity rather than look at it as something that is a risk or threat to us. We're hardwired to zoom in on threats. And in moments of turbulence, we naturally focus inward and self-protect. And so what people are asking when it comes to trust towards the future isn't that you would have certainty it's that they would have confidence that you were capable of navigating it and that you have their back through it. I mean, that sounds exactly like Josh, what you were just kind of talking about. Yeah. It's, it's been interesting on this one. You know, when you think about it, I mean, the one, <laughs> I think we have this fallacy thinking like in our jobs, like, Hey, if I, this year has been a little bit rough, but we're going to get everything fixed this year. And then next year is going to be smooth sailing. And unfortunately, I think we know the realization is that change is always there. And to look at it as an opportunity, kind of how he talks about it or promote that culture of change. I think it's, it's just so critical to say like, Hey, going to deal with something, probably not going to have the same issue next year, but it's going to be something else. And we just got to be ready for that. I, the one kind of experience that comes to mind is I used to be an auditor for a decade at KPMG and every year I'd, I used to have a lot of the same clients. I'm like, Oh, next year we got this. I'm going home at eight. I'm not going to be here till midnight. Nothing like nothing's going to change. Like I've got this thing dialed in and sure enough, there would be an IPO or there'd be an acquisition. And, you know, I think at first that was a little bit frustrating, but then as I embraced it, it actually gave me so much experience in my career on those things that it's, propelled it's given me so many opportunities down the road for other things like that so i think embracing that culture of like hey it's it's never going to be sue sailing but let's come to work every day and have the attitude of like let's kind of take it on and just kind of see where the journey goes to some point because usually it's it's uh turns out to good things if you can kind of keep that perspective yeah josh i only heard you tell me that every year you were my audit manager <laughs> next year we're gonna get this dialed hey, in. hey steve I got to come up with some excuse to get the fees up. So, <laughs> Isn't it the definition of insanity, though, is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result? Uh, yeah. Isn't that an audit, Ernest? <laughs> Isn't that like right up your alley? <laughs> 100%. I think um, what I loved about Kurt's quote here and, and when he talks about promoting that culture of growth and learning, you know, within the audit world, we're so accustomed to doing the same things as like last year, right? Like, hey, we did this audit before, let's do it the same way. And one of the things that I've learned over my career is, you know, when you're gonna try something new and that's different and challenging and maybe bucking conventional, conventional wisdom and challenging the status quo, you have to create an environment where it's okay to fail, where people feel safe that, hey, 
look, we, we know we're going to go out on a limb and we're trying something new here. But if you're going to fail, fail fast, fail forward, fail onward. And, and that's something that I, I think we've been able to cultivate that culture a little bit better in this virtual environment. Right. Like we have to try new things because that's kind of the way the, the world is working right now. And so um, I, I think that's how, you know, the, the biggest growth opportunities that we have and, and the best ways that we learn is through failure. Um, and, and Lord knows that I've failed time and time again. Maybe that's why I'm not an audit anymore <laughs> and here working for a software company. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, the other the other thing about Kurt's quote, too, when uh, he talks about people being hardwired to look at threats. Well, threats with threats, if you take the inverse or the reverse of that, it, they can be opportunities. And so how do we flip those risks to be opportunistic? And I think part of that is creating a culture that allows you to be creative, to look at it from a lens of, hey, this, you know, yes, this risk, if we incur it, could be severe and could could cost us a lot of money, cost a lot of time, but what, what's the reward around that? And, and I think that's where we as, you know, audit risk and compliance professionals kind of have to change that paradigm. And, and it's not just about what do we do about the risk, but how do we spin it as an opportunity? Well, I think we are going to get in trouble if we don't spin this conversation quickly to our sponsor for a message. We've got one quote left from Kurt, but let's hear that message from our sponsor and we'll be right back. On the subject of work, let me tell you about that one time in high school when I worked at a tortilla factory. It was an assembly line job. One person cooked the corn, another fed dough into a machine to be pressed into tortillas, and someone else counted out tortillas so I could stuff them into bags to be sold in your local grocery store. The assembly line was great for making tortillas. It's not so great for assembling a 400-page annual report when many teammates need to add ingredients and do quality control without having to wait their turn in line to start doing their thing. That's where Workiva comes in. Workiva brings financial reporting, ESG, audit, and risk teams together all in one platform to work together in real time. Workiva helps you automate the tedious parts of your job so you and your team can focus on doing your thing and adding value. Check it out at workiva.com slash podcast. That's W-O-R-K-I-V-A dot com slash podcast. The truth is the single best and most powerful way to build trust in your team is to give them the one thing that is most difficult to give, and that's undivided attention. Let's combine this with our closing question of the day here. Um, how would you give people your undivided attention? Well, you know what? This this is kind of hokey, but I think one of the ways that um, at least that I've found is successful in the past is um, which has actually been good for me too, frankly, as, as a manager, just as a member of a team is just reaching out just unsolicited impromptu. Hey, how you doing? What's going on? And, and you just sit there and listen and definitely ask more questions than you talk. Um, that to me, I think done on a regular basis, I think not only demonstrates that, Hey, I care about you, but it also gives us just opportunity to communicate in a way that's not tied to a meeting. It's not tied to any specific topic. It's kind of free flow and you can sort of take it from there. Uh, you know, that's probably a little bit homespun, but you know, boy, I've had some really, really good outcomes and really good interactions with people uh, when I've done that. Back when we used to go into the office and we would have meetings in my office or somewhere else, um, when it was one-on-one -on -one time, whether it was a status update or a check-in on goals or whatever, 
I, I would purposefully close my laptop, close the door and, and having just a conversation with them. Uh, in this virtual environment, it's it's very easy to be distracted because you got multiple screens, you got multiple devices and notifications going off uh, here and there. And so I, I try to make sure that I'm focusing on the camera uh, as unnatural as that feels when, when we're meeting virtually uh, and that I'm not distracted by emails or Slack messages or, or anything else. It, you know, that, that undivided attention, I think it's got to be reciprocal too, right? And so as you're having those conversations with folks, making sure that not only do you hear them, but reiterating what you heard in your own words so that you have confirmation that you're on the same page. Uh, there's so many like little different tactics that you can deploy. Um, but, but again, that it's a really good, really good strong statement in terms of like building that trust. And I think the last thing around building trust too, especially as, as a team leader or, or, or just a leader in general, goes back to that say do ratio. But I think showing vulnerability in these times we all have stuff that's going on. We all have families, people are getting sick, you know, you got kids that you have to take to school, showing and having empathy around that, but then also kind of reinforcing those same values that like, hey, when you're on PTO, you're on PTO, right? Same thing for like me, when when I'm on PTO, I make sure not to email my teams or shoot the message or anything like that. Like that that is our time. And and I think I think that's what really good companies who have strong cultures get to reinforce. Yeah. I'm I'll build upon what Ernest said a little bit. I think it's interesting when you say undivided attention, I, I almost translate that to kind of what is love for me a little bit, like not romantic love, but the fact that you care about somebody and you're willing to invest in them and you're willing to empathize with them and understand what they're going to. And so how do you show that in a workplace setting? I mean, I kind of go my mind, and this is just where my mind goes, which will tell you I'm a little bit crazy, but I kind of think of the five love languages um, I'm pretty sure physical touch is a no-no from what I've understood. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, words of affirmation, acts of service, gifts, none of those kind of really make sense. So I think it kind of comes back to quality time, you know, like when you, when you're there that you're going to give them focus time on them, you know, whatever, whatever way that works, whether that's one-on-ones, whether that's going out for coffee, but just an opportunity where, you know, you can build that relationship where you can understand them, that you can show them that you care, that you can take an interest in that. And again, as you've kind of gone through those experiences and earned that trust, I think it only helps, you know, I think, I think, you know, when people are in, you know, when they become kind of ride or die partners to some degree, like you've gone through those things, you care about each other. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, I, to me, it kind of just comes back to being willing to spend that focus time with that person. So that'd be my take on it. Some deep and profound responses to this closing question of the day. Usually we get more humor, but I, uh, I I like this. Catherine, we can't let you get off the hook, though. How do you show undivided attention? Oh, it's a good old-fashioned Care Bear stare. Eye contact. Direct eye contact. <laughs> uh, I didn't think Josh would be giving the Care Bear stare, but you're, you're a pretty caring guy, Josh, as it turns out. Underneath this asshole form that Steve has painted <laughs> this picture as, I'm just... I'm just a guy who cares about other people, you know, and wants them to be happy. But, you know, some people just can't overlook certain things. So can we do an episode in the future on love languages? I think I think we could spin something there. Let's do it. Let's do it. I love it. Especially since my wife made me read that book before we got married. I don't know what she was trying to tell me. And then maybe we could do another one on like guys are from Mars, women are from Venus or whatever that was. I was like, let's just take this podcast to a whole different level. Let's go. Oh, boy. Can't wait. 2023 is going to be a hoot. 
Well, thanks, Ernest and Josh, for being here. Yeah, thanks yeah. for having us. Yeah, thank you. De- definitely. Thanks to you both. And thank you, dear listener, for surfing along. I'm Steve Soder. That was Catherine Sy. And this has been Off the Books, presented by Workiva. Please subscribe, leave a review, tell your buddies if you like the show, surf's up, and we will see you on the next wave. <laughs>